Thank you so much. I feel so underdressed now. <laughs> Oh, double digits. <laughs> yeah. Hi there, welcome. Awesome. Were you good to go? Great. Amazing. Hello. Hello, friends. Welcome uh, to our panel, D&D in the Classroom, or as I prefer to call it, a how-to guide to forcing your hobbies onto your students. And luckily, you might even be in a position where you get paid to do that, which is super rad. Um, just before we get into our panel today, it's always important for us to acknowledge the spirit of reconciliation and acknowledge the traditional custodians of country, not only here today where we meet, uh, but throughout Australia and the connections to land, sea and community. Uh, we here pay our respects to Elders past and present uh, and acknowledge their experience that holds the key to success of future generations. And we extend that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people here today. And I always like to especially add a little um, acknowledgement there of the rich storytelling history, especially when I'm talking TTRPGs and D&D, because I think there's such a beautiful, strong link there. So thank you so much. Uh, welcome. Um, first of all, is there anyone that's been to this panel before a few years ago? Oh, we have hello, welcome back. Welcome back, and thank you. Well done. I'm surprised. <laughs> uh, so I'm uh, Meek. Uh, I will be kind of facilitating the panel today, but also joining in. And I am joined by two very illustrious, experienced game masters slash educators with me today. Uh, I'm not going to tell you their story, though, because we are storytellers. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves. I'm going to start with the fabulous Dan. Hi, I'm Dan Machuka. I'm currently studying for my master's at Victoria University. Uh, but for the past year, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons with a group of neurodiverse teens and just completed a study on the, uh, on the emotional benefits that they've had over that period. Uh, I am Meek. Uh, I am a professional primary school teacher, professional dungeon master, and aspiring bard. Um, thank you. Uh, but I have been teaching now for six years, DMing for about four of that, and uh, I'll talk to you a little bit later about what I've done with D&D in the classroom, specifically primary, but also starting a club uh, in a Peter 12 school. Uh, hi, my name is Afif Wax. I'm a long-time dungeon master, short-time teacher, and first-time panellist. Uh, I probably have about just as much an idea of what's happening here as you guys. Um, and, uh, yeah, for the past, I'd say, 10 months, I've been working for Meek with Masters of Alchemy, running uh, as a professional dungeon master, running a lot of games for brand-new players especially. Amazing. So that's us. Uh, but what we also want to know is... Who we've got in the audience. So first of all, we are, um, actually the three of us are all primary educators. So hands up my primary educators, where are you at? Woo! Amazing, stickers all round, good job, well done. <laughs> uh, amazing, uh, what about secondary teachers? We've got high school teachers in, oh nice, awesome, pretty, pretty good split. Uh, now my favourite, where are my librarians at? Uh, yeah. <laughs> honestly, I love you guys. Uh, my librarians are my best friends at school, it's my safe space, I love it. Um, and do we have like uh, teachers aides, educational assistants, people like that? Yes, awesome, beautiful. Anything that I haven't counted, I'm intrigued. Oh, what, what have we? Anthropology. Anthropology, <laughs> rad, love it, awesome. Uh, oh, amazing, you and Dan need to absolutely chat, yeah. 
Oh, girl guide leader. Ooh. We need more girls in D&D especially. Uh, absolutely love that. And hi. Psychologist. Awesome. Amazing. Great things we're going to talk about today as well. Fabulous. Amazing. Oh, and hello. Sorry. Special education. Special ed. Amazing. Awesome. We're also going to touch on that today as well. So that is fab. Amazing. Awesome. I am every week. Oh, sorry. Hello. Yes. Oh, rad. Awesome. I get a library or something? Or... Yeah, library. yeah, awesome. Beautiful. Love it. Uh, fabulous. So, yeah, I'm always uh, so, like, joyed and touched when I find that we have these feelers of these amazing people in our community. I know everyone in this room knows the power of not only just D&D. We're going to... Spoilers. We're going to talk about things other than D&D. I know. Um, but uh, it is such a rich tool for reaching, like, kids. And I don't know if anyone here has had the same experience, but I know for me, even as an adult, when I found D&D, I found a new chapter of myself and a new confidence. So, you know, if I as an adult had that, I just, I, I've seen firsthand what that has on your younger adventurers as well. So it's always so rad to talk about that. Um, so please buckle in. Uh, we do have question time at the end. So if there's anything we touch on today that you think that's really cool but I'd love to know more of, um, if you want to, you know, just ask us other questions, um, feel free at the end. We will have some question time. So... Um, that is going to go, but let's kick off. So this is uh, what we're going to talk about today. So the fabulous Dan here, he's going to talk to you all about TTRPGs for neurodiverse teens, which he's just expressed as his uh, area of expertise. In fact, master's level expertise. Um, then we have uh, the wonderful Thief, who's going to talk to you about the table, give you some practical advice on how to actually run games for kids and like and how we do that when we're running games. And then I'm going to talk to you about starting a D&D club and what I learned and all the mistakes you don't have to make because I've already made them for you. Uh, amazing. I'm going to pass over to the wonderful Dan. Yeah. So, as I, uh, one thing I forgot to mention earlier is I've been running games for about seven years uh, using D&D. I tend to try and play other systems, which I'll go to in, into a bit later. Uh, but first to talk about the group that I've been playing with now. It's a group of four teenagers. Uh, they range in age from 13 to 19, so very kind of, uh, while they're all high schoolers, the very wide range of age, experience with D&D. Most of them had never played before, uh, whereas one was very experienced. Um, so it's kind of having to na navigate that for the group and explaining that as we go along. Uh, one of the things that we did for that group is we would play in two-hour sessions, which if you play in D&D is really short, but when you are playing with these teens, their attention span starts wavering at that point, so you need to be prepared to have those shorter sessions for that group. Uh, we'd meet weekly because if you're only doing two-hour sessions, you kind of want to keep some momentum going. If you're going to do fortnightly, you're just dragging everything out. Uh, at that point. Now, I ran a campaign called The Dark of Hot Springs Island. Some of you might be familiar with that. It won a few Ennies a couple of years ago. Uh, but what's really good about that, if you look into it, is that it's really good for exploration. It's a big island for the kids to go out and explore. Hex maps, so you guys can decide where they want to head towards. If they want to go to the volcano that's marked, that's marked on the map and see what's there. There's lots of different tribes on the island, so the kids can decide, oh, are we going to be allied with the evil but ri ridiculously rich fire elementals and be a bit corrupt that way? Or are we going to be good and help the slaves try and escape them? So there's a lot of opportunity for, uh, for social uh, engagement as well. And then there's lots of combat because everything on the island wants to kill you, at least once. Um, we just finished that campaign, so within that period, the kids got to make those choices. They, they initially were hired by the evil fire elementals to, uh, to go and kill the leaders of the ex-slaves and try and take them back, but then they had a change of heart. They fought, they fought about what was actually the moral play here, and uh, rather than just kind of being selfish, they decided to not only bring peace to the island, but negotiate a peace for the island after the death of the evil warlords there. Um, one other thing that I, we had as well is we, I introduced a bell. I just had like a little ding bell on the table so that way if the kids were getting overstimulated, things getting a bit loud, things getting a bit intense, they could just ding the bell and we just take a break. A couple of minutes, reconvene, get yourselves back together. Didn't come up as often as I thought it would, but just having that there I think helped the kids understand that this was a safer space for them. Um, now one thing I will add, if you do decide to do the Dark of Hot Springs Island, is that it's a very... It's a, initially a very adult campaign, so you might find yourself like, oh, the kids are about to find themselves in a love hotel cleverly disguised as, a, uh, as an observatory. Um, so if you come across all these frescoes covered with elves, you might need to cover up the fact that the elves are all fornicated, fornicating naked on the, uh, on the walls, and it said they're all dressed for battle and fighting orcs. I mean, those two things can be the same. <laughs> but none of them picked up on the awkward pauses, which I think was a, a, a good thing there. Um, now, after, the, after a year of playing, I, I ran a survey on these kids and on their parents as well as to how they felt that they developed over that time period. One of the things I asked them was, how do you feel about meeting new people? 
And anybody who's familiar with these kind of kids will know that on a scale of one to five, they all were at one. They were not interested in meeting new people at that point. It wasn't something that they felt comfortable with at that point. Um, after about a year of play, I surveyed, I surveyed them again and asked similar questions. And one question that came up was, how do you feel about meeting new people now? And they'd gone from one to at least a three, collectively as a group. Um, one of them even put themselves as a four, and which kind of astounded me because I felt like, so how do you, have you met ever new people? No, not yet, but hey, COVID. Uh, there's not that many opportunities just yet. Um, the other question I asked him as well was, um, how do you feel about trying new systems? Because what I do find with D&D, and as we talk about other systems as well, D&D is really great for combat, but when it comes to social encounters and when it comes to exploration, it's really dependent on the GM. There aren't a hard set of, set of rules on how to use this. So I'm looking at other systems. Uh, there's a group called Good uh, GG Games who have a, a system of social encounters just, just as robust as their combat. So you can have these kind of, you talk your way out of a situation instead of just rolling persuasion and trying to beat a DC of 15, which a bard will do anyway because they're ridiculous. Um, one thing that I also find important as well is just to kind of remind kids where they're at as well. As you, Even though we're playing weekly, they forget they, they need to kind of be reminded, why are you here? Why are you at this point of the island? Uh, it's because you've agreed that you're going to get the skull removed that one of the players decided to start wearing a skull as a mask, and I decided, well, that's, that's not great. That skull's now cursed, and now they need a side quest to remove the skull. So this is why that you're here at this point now, because you're trying to work out how to remove this curse along the way. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to mention as well is if you are going to have these kids... Um, coming along, shorter times. Um, there was one kid in particular, even after the year, still didn't understand how to play. Every time I'm still explaining, oh, you roll an attack, how do I do that? Roll a 20-sided roll dice, add up your bonuses. These are your weapon dice, use those. After a year, I might feel like I'm failing that kid, that they're not doing, they haven't learned how to play the game, why are they still turning up here? Yet when I surveyed them, I asked, how do you feel about turning up every week? It's their highlight of their week, which to me tells me that the game isn't why they come, it's the excuse. It's because they're forming these friendships, forming these connections, having a voice on how these decisions are being made, and then moving on to seeing the outcomes of how well does this work. And also just talking nonsense at each other about, you know, I'm going to kick you off the, into, the, into lava. We'll see what happens then. All right, roll dice. <laughs> um, yeah, let's yeah. Uh, is there any highlights from the campaign that you ran? Like, what would be your, your personal highlight and maybe what the kids' highlight was? Uh, well... So at one point, I, we had, they came across a, a battlefield, or what was a battlefield. So they had a, ogres on one side, fire elementals on the other. Fire elementals had uh, put up a whole bunch of stakes with ogre skulls on the top. And so one of my more ridiculous players decided that they wanted to wear an ogre skull as a, as a mask, despite knowing that they were on their way to meet the head of the ogres and, and start negotiating some kind of treaty. So, so this is where I, I, at, my, at this point, said... Uh, there's nothing I can do to stop you from doing this. There's no rule in the book. There's also no rule in the book stopping me from making out a cursed item that's now permanently fixed to your face. <laughs> and we'll ha and it was a moon druid, which is a shapeshifter, if you're familiar with D&D. So every time they turn into an animal, it had an ogre skull on its face, which <laughs> had Im implications when they were trying to you know, be a spider and running away. I'm like, yeah, cool, you're a spider running away with a skull attached to its head. And, um, and just kind of not punishing, but just providing consequences, even for a little bit of silliness, that turn into an, an enormous side mission outside of it. Um, another one was uh, a, the players all camped at a, at a site. There was a 10-foot-tall uh, face carved into the rock, and my players decided they needed to boop the nose of the statue, <laughs> um, So, which resulted in ridiculous failures of athletics rolls to try and get up that high. Um, <laughs> And taking not how many athletic strolls? I'm curious. <laughs> it, was, it took four before the fight. This was a fighter who Sorry. couldn't climb up. Um, so, and I guess for our final session, I, I kind of asked them, "What were your memories?" In a way, I said, "So this is the point we're at. You're about to enter the throne room of the evil fire elemental who's enslaved all these races. This is the final fight of the game. What is, what's happened to lead you here?" And asking them what their memories were for the past year, and getting these 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 two examples and, and others that I had forgotten along the way. Um, some of the puzzles that I thought had fallen flat were actually highlights for them and, uh, and in in kind of showed again how it's the com not the combat that these kids are coming for, they're coming to, to work things out and work together. 
Awesome. Beautiful. Uh, amazing. Well, um, moving along to uh, talk about so our next area of expertise, we're going to pass over to the wonderful Thief, who's going to give you some practical tips. Uh, yeah. So when Meek first asked me to jump on this panel, um, at first I, you know, I started writing things down and because there's so many parallels and overlaps between the skills you use as a teacher and those you use as a dungeon master uh, that play off each other. Um, and I had all this stuff written down and then sort of the other day I just thought, oh, this is too much, and I just scrunched it all up and threw it away uh, and just wrote a couple of dot points, um, which is pretty much how my session planning and lesson planning goes. Um, <laughs> just throw out everything I'd originally had. Um, not and because of your players, ever. <laughs> definitely not because of my players. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, this is kind of a weird thing as well because I'm sitting up here as if, like, oh, I know, I know everything, what's going on, ask me about d and I'll tell you about d and it's, I don't think I, any, or any DM ever feels like they're qualified to really tell other people <laughs> how to run a game, um, which is why, you know, hopefully we'll get some time for Q&A and people can ask stuff that's really relevant to them. Um, but also because every time someone asks me for advice or, or my opinion on something, my answer always inevitably starts the same way. I say, well, it depends, uh, which is true, but it's also not, just not very helpful. Um, so hopefully what I want to do, because what I have a lot of experience with is just running games, and hopefully I can give some of the people here who are looking to run some games uh, some skills and a bit more confidence in that area so that you can just feel more confident running games yourself as opposed to sort of specific advice like, oh, do this, do that. Instead, here's like an approach that you can take. And ideally as well, it's, it's not just for kids. You will take a bit of a, a, a lens and a focus through that, but hopefully it's something you can take away for any of your games and not just for D&D as well. Um, the first, of course, um, it seems super obvious, but know your, know your players, know your audience. Um, and I say it seems super obvious. I think the trap that a lot of people fall into is that because you know who these people are as people, you think you know who they are as players, and they are not the same, I'll tell you that right now. Um, you put you know, a character in front of them, a bunch of math rocks, and they just go wild. Uh, and of course, with children, it's just cranked up to 11. Um, so you always gotta expect the unexpected, and um, uh, yeah, I think the other thing with kids as well is that, just broadly speaking, a lot of the time they just won't have the same kind of cultural capital that you might expect other people to have. You'll make references to things, you'll say, oh, it's like this thing, and it's really easy to just fall into that. Again, just sort of a trap of assuming people will know things about stuff. Um, and it's a lot easier to make that mistake with younger players than others. Um, and even with, you know, I, I just say kids is a very broad general term. Depending on the age, depending on, um, you know, their level of maturity and things like that, it can vary so wildly. Um, but so often we'll just put them into this box, like, ah, we make a table for kids, we'll just put all the kids together, and really that's, there's so much there. Um, just like there would be with any other party. Um, which kind of leads me to my second point about engagement. So sometimes, say, I'll be planning a lesson, right, and I'll have this goal for the outcome of the lesson. Right, I want the kids to learn this, and I'll start teaching the lesson, and it turns out they don't learn any of that, right? They just go completely off track. And there's a lot of ways to reach that learning outcome, um, but some of them are better or worse than others. And it's like, at the end of the day, you could say, okay, well, I ticked this box, they technically learnt this thing, but if they're not really enjoying it or if they're not really engaged with that, um, that's not really the outcome that I want. And I think you can take a similar approach to D&D, where you might have an end goal. Uh, it might be an end goal that you're very confident, like, okay, well, these players are really gonna enjoy this thing. But I think what you really want is the engagement. It's like uh, having the, the punchline to the joke already, but kind of neglecting the setup a little bit more. Um, so focus on the setup. And um, this kind of goes into knowing your audience. And on top of all the millions of things that you already have to do when you're running a game, um, it's also very important that you listen and you listen to your players uh, as you're playing the game and you're picking up what they're putting out. Um, so you can figure out what works and what doesn't. And uh, just the other day, actually, um, and this is one of the joys of running games for kids, uh, I was running a game for some kids. Um, this was at Fortress in the city every Sunday from 1 o'clock and 5 o'clock. Um, <laughs> nice. uh, I was running a game for some kids. You know, I didn't know I was going to run a game for kids until just 15 minutes beforehand. Um, it's sort of a pub environment. It's very noisy. There's big flat-screen TVs everywhere showing video games and streams, all sorts of distractions. 
And the whole time I was running that game, I thought, oh, this is, this is going terribly. They're just looking around all over the place. And, you know, we're there for three hours. You're trying to get kids to sit still for three hours is a nightmare. Um, so inside, I, I felt pretty bad. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to get through it. I'm just going to get through it. Uh, and then at the end of the game, they just they said, oh, it was great. Oh, I had such a great time. Oh, I loved it. Uh, which is not at all what I expected or felt from that. Um, because kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? They're bad at feeling things and expressing things at the same time. Um, so that's just a little anecdote as well. If you're ever in that situation where you feel like, oh, man, this isn't working at all. Well, it probably is, you know. Um, Be kind to yourself. Yeah. Well, it's probably you don't say. It's the players that are bad. The players. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also wanted to mention, uh, talk about the quote-unquote railroad for a little bit. Because um, this is a... We could sit here for hours talking about this. Um, and I think... First of all, a lot of the, the discussions around the railroad are, there's a lot of issues in terms of defining it. I think that's where a lot of the problems lie, when in reality, it's, it's a spectrum of, of player agency. And uh, a lot of people, they hear this word, and it's a, it's a very scary word to them. And they think, oh, it's, it's terrible. And I'm, I, I often see so many people worried about, like, oh, I think I'm railroading my players. Like, oh, what do I do? Um, just, just, just railroad them. I mean. <laughs> it's a lot of time it's fine um, and especially with younger audiences um, because it's not it's not that black and white right and it's this is where the the listening as well comes in um, you've just got to feel it out and that comes with experience and I know that's again really scary just going into it um, but definitely don't be afraid of that um, don't be afraid of, of putting things on rails it's you just have that end goal again of that you're trying to reach and whatever path they take to get it, sure. But as long as you're still just keeping them towards that main end goal, then that's kind of fine. Could I just interject there yeah. for a moment? Um, so when I chose my campaign, the Hot Springs Island campaign, I chose it because it is an open sand world, kids can go everywhere. After a few months, it became apparent they wanted rails. So what, what the, they were a bit confused. Where, do we, where can we, we can go anywhere, but where should we go? And, well, you need to explore to find that out. So when I started putting a few of, ooh, now you're getting chased by the fire elementals, they might be the bad guys, that's when it really started increasing that engagement. So it's more to like your point. It's like bumpers at bowling. Yeah. yeah it's a good yeah. analogy. To your point, don't, don't be afraid to put those um, rails down. And it, it is one of the, the kind of tragedies of, of Dungeons and & Dragons and other tabletop games where some of the, the greatest strengths of it and the things that I love so much about it are also the, some of the weaknesses and what makes it very hard to get into in the first place um, people will sell you on this idea of like, oh, you can do anything you want. Wow, go do anything. And everybody just sits there like, oh, what? Because <laughs> a, a blank canvas is, is very scary and people want to have a starting point and, and a direction as well. Um, but I think that's, yeah. yeah, that's about it for me. Nice. Speaking about getting, how, how did, actually, very quickly, uh, oh, yeah. you mentioned about getting into D&D. How did you actually start D&D if you, like, how did you actually find it? Oh, uh, there was like, it took me a while to get into it. It was sort of on the fringes a lot. There was like someone I knew in college, but I didn't really like get into it then. And then it was just, yeah, through an online group. And luckily, a very kind dungeon master took me under his wing and just showed me the ropes. And, you know, the rest is history. Mm. What you, Dan? How'd you get into D&D? How'd um, you find it? Well, I used to live right in the city and I wanted to get out and, and meet new people. And this was my nerdy way of doing that. Um, so I just hopped on, on Facebook, saw a group that was advertising for new players uh, year and a half, level 12, uh, teen, I was playing a teenage tiefling warlock who was the sassiest sass pants ever. No. And yeah, it was great. <laughs> I, I rolled to bitch once because I wanted to complain about how long it was taking to get somewhere. And I rolled a nat 20 and it was... Um, unfortunately, and as some, some of these campaigns do, it fizzled. My, my GM took a break and then the group fell apart. Um, so, Which I'm sure nobody here can relate with. So I, I experienced heartbreak early on in my D&D campaign I was also well. a tiefling, my first character, tiefling bard. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I was a half-elven sorcerer, my very first character, and then I was like, that's so wrong. I've been a bard ever since. <laughs> Never again. Um, but, no, I mention that because I think as adults it's hard enough to get into the hobby, right? Like, it's, I know for me it took me about two and a half years of trying to get into the hobby. Um, I ended up going to, like, accidentally rocking up to the maze in Fitzroy to a learn-to-play D&D session. It was on the school holidays. I was on break. I was like, this is sick. And then I rocked up and it was me and, like, two eight-year-old, like, boys. Because <laughs> I didn't realise, right? Why would you run a school holiday learn-to-play D&D program for children? 
Uh, anyway, so I had two choices. I could have like left with my dignity, uh, but instead I sat there and I put on my teacher hat and I stopped. I decided to not. I didn't swear. Uh, and um, yeah, no, it was great. But it was, it's been a hard road. So I think uh, as a nice segue into what I'm about to talk to you about, which is how to make a D&D club, these spaces are, creating these spaces for kids are so important, so grateful. Like as adults, we know how important they are. So being able to give that to kids who are going through so many like changes and, you know, I remember myself, like if I would have had a D&D club in school, I would have been the happiest person ever. I had a very small musical performing arts staff room, which was my very tiny safe space when the teachers wouldn't boot me out. Um, but, uh, you know, if I had a D&D club that would have just made everything better so here's what I'm going to teach you how to make a D&D club do I have hands off you already have a D&D club at your educational premise okay mm. cool hands off you'd like to start one <laughs> okay first of all it's great when it's great <laughs> all right the it is going to be uh, those people that are about to start out it is a rocky climb um, but let me let me try and take some of the pain away by telling you what I've learnt uh, the first thing is you the first most like annoying thing you have to cross with this is that you need money, right? Um, we need money to buy dice, buy kits. So the first thing you have to do is sell your program to your leadership. Um, if you're not in sales, uh, it's and if you have to then go and explain that you want D&D &D, and they're like, what's D&D? &D? And you're like, okay. Well, D&D, &D, it's like a choose your own adventure book and you roll dice and you tell stories and then, and then you are the dungeon master and they're like, you're the what? I'm like, dungeon master. And they're like, the what? I'm like, oh, not that type of dungeon master. Like... <laughs> Like, I run the game, game master, let's call them game masters, that's going to not confuse parents in a staff email, like, let's, yeah. Um, so you have to go through that for you. The best thing I do to link that to is, especially post-COVID, uh, the way that we got funding for our club was we spoke about the benefits of the social interactions, not just for neurodiverse students, everyone can benefit from this at the moment. Anyone who's in a school at the moment, you would know, you'd be seeing that kids have kind of, the social interactions with kids at the moment are definitely, like, uh, different post-COVID, right? Spend two years inside, you're going to lose some of those social skills, especially for us in prime. Primary, you know, a big part of what primary teaches, it's not the curriculum, it's teaching you how to be a human, it's teaching you how to share, it's teaching you how to take turns, uh, it's teaching you how to not talk over one another, uh, it's teaching you how to not kill each other instantly as soon as you're given a fake weapon in paper. Um, so that's the way I sold it. I said, look, we need to have a social program. We really want to explore this post-COVID. And then I also listed off a bunch of the actual curriculum links. It's great for problem solving, creativity, collaboration, maths, uh, literacy. If anyone listened to our panel last year, I, I won't follow that this year, but last year I spoke about a whole literacy unit I designed around D&D to teach creative writing and those kinds of things. Um, so first of all, you need to sell it. You need to go in and dazzle them. Uh, if you need tips on that, feel free to, I said, shoot me an email. I can essentially type you up a script if you want. Um, or tell them to just call me and I will ramble on feverishly about how amazing D&D is and magical it is. Um, to make it into perspective, telling your principal you want a D&D club is much easier than trying to explain to the ATO what you do for a job when you're a professional dungeon master. Okay? <laughs> Trust me. I've been there, done it, got the postcard. Your principal's going to be far more welcoming. Um, so... The next thing you know is all good quests need a plan. So the first plan was getting funding. We were very lucky. We got given some. Uh, we went then and spoke to our uh, local friendly game store. I'm going to talk a little bit about them later. Um, they were very lovely to us. Uh, we were buying a bunch of stuff as well. Luckily, there's great resources out there to get cheap things. You can really do this. Uh, honestly, with Wizards right now, there's a bunch of free games you could run. I'm sure everyone in this room has access to dice. If you don't, there's digital dice rollers. You don't even need those. So you can start a game with very little, but it's nice to have you know, a few minis, a kind of you know, dry erase map, some dice that the kids can play with. The kids love dice, man. They love them. I mean, I don't know anything about that. I just don't like I collect billions of them. Um, but shiny math click clacks, primo. Um, once I had that plan, so I had my funding, I had my stuff, and then me and my, um, unfortunately, there was my, another person was meant to be here, he can't be here today, uh, but we were co I guess, like, sailing the ship on this D&D club. Um, we then sat down and said, right, what are we going to do? And our first gut was like, oh, we're just going to play D&D. That's it. We're just going to run some one-shots. And then we're like, wait a minute. We've got years 5 to 12. Uh, they don't know what D&D is. They don't know what a character sheet is. They don't even know what the dice are. Let's reel this back. And we had a lot of kids that were, like, super, super excited to make a character. All they wanted to do is make their character. They wanted to make their, like, sassy warlock. And I'm assuming sassy warlock. Am I wrong? Sassy bar, yeah. So, yeah, well, <laughs> was it was a wall? Oh, sorry, tiefling, tiefling. Um, but uh, anyone who's as an adult tried to create a character, it's tricky. So we said, right, what do they need to do to make their own character so they have buy-in? Because what I found is um, another little anecdote. When I first started doing D&D, &D, I did a, a literacy unit all about creative writing, and the, the end action was that we had a D&D &D day, and I played with, like, I was at an all-girls school, um, which, whoo, 
More girls playing DD, please. Um, and I sat down and we did this one shot and there was these two beautiful, sweet, quiet girls and they were playing, I think, wizards. And I said, they want to buy a map. And I was like, of course, you can buy a map. I made a little, like, they made a little map maker that they went to visit. And I was like, it's one gold. And they had a bunch of gold. And they're like, they kind of whispered at each other. And then one of them just leans forward. She's like, I'd like to stab him. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's on me. They forgot they have gold. I was like, no, no, you've got plenty of gold and they just like looked at each other and then the other one turns around and goes nah we're gonna stab him <laughs> right um that's what happens when you don't have buy-in in a character because they're just gonna stab everything you want them to have a backstory you want them to kind of feel that they can be their character so what we said is right we're gonna spend all of term one teaching the kids how to play DD. so our DD club for the first term every week had a focus we went through what are the stats what does it mean to have strength what does it mean to have constitution we played some games we got them to test their own dexterity um i wanted to throw stuff at them apparently that's not like oh hns i know right uh we ended up doing like a, a kind of hybrid of dodgeball i guess um to test their decks but yeah and then they had buying they knew what strength was they knew what decks was they knew what kind of their own like they could talk about what their kind of personal stats might be uh we did a whole nother week just uh talking about the different weapons and we did a bit of a history lesson what is a long sword how is a long sword different to a great sword why is it a two-handed battle axe that kind of stuff um and it was kind of, part of them would come to an after-school club and there's a part of it, the first five, 10 minutes, they'll be like, oh, more school. Um, you just make it really fun, put on a silly voice. And we always let them roll dice. So at the end of each of those little mini lessons, there was something we taught them. So the day we taught them about stats, we got them to roll stats. We got them to give them a blank character sheet. All right, let's everyone roll your stats for your character. That's gonna be your character's stats. And we're gonna keep building on that week after week. So that by the end of the first term, they essentially had a character. We did a whole week on backstory. Um, there's an amazing resource out there. It's like 100 questions to answer about your characters. We got them to roll percentile dice because no one knows how to use percentile dice, <laughs> right? When do you use them? So rarely, but we taught them that in a lesson. Um, and then they built a backstory for their character so that by the end of term one, they had this rich, beautiful, sassy character. They all had the same ones, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> but no, they had that connection to it so that the next term when we played games, we could actually have that buy-in. So that's your plan, and that's, your, that's all, you know what, that's your front loading. I'm so sorry, that's also my second dot point. <laughs> uh, don't feel like your D&D club has to just be games. Um, I feel like teaching them that was so good, and also from a perspective, you know, if, if like a leadership person walked past your classroom and you've got this amazing enriched like activity where you've got like pictures of swords and kids rolling dice and stuff, uh, it looks pretty good, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie, it looks great. Um, the other thing, though, that I've been very readily discussing, so we had years five to 12. Now, obviously, we're not going to put someone in year five in a group with someone in year 12. Very different uh, emotional capabilities, very different narrative kind of wants. It's like, think about your school library. Yeah, you're not going to find The Handmaid's Tale in the junior, like, year five section, uh, just as you're not going to probably find uh, Dragon Girls, maybe. Oh, actually, no, maybe you will. It's actually a dope book. I'm not going to hate on Dragon Girls. Book, I quite like boy. it. Dog boy? Dog boy? Oh, yeah. You're yeah. probably not going to find, yeah, dog boy in the senior school library. I'm not, I don't think there's any year nine teacher, English teacher teaching that as a text. Um, so what we did then, so my partner teacher I was working with, he was a secondary teacher. So we split. I took middle school years five to eight. Uh, and he looked after years nine to 12. And then we kind of split from there to run games. And we had to find kid-friendly resources. Uh, DMs Guild, an amazing resource. Uh, so many great things out there for kids. Don't feel like you have to reinvent the wheel. If you want to homebrew and you love homebrewing, be my guest. But as teachers... Some of you might recognise we're a little bit busy, right? Um, you probably don't have time between the reporting and the, you know, PLs and the lesson planning and the, oh, and this thing that sometimes we get to do called teaching, where I actually get to sit in front of children and teach them. Um, so I use, like, I love homebrew, but I used a lot of pre-made adventures. Uh, there's a fabulous UK uh, one-shot artist called Faye Fair. Uh, sorry, that's her game, Faye Fair. She's called RNW. Um, if you want any links, I'll send it to you. Just does the most beautiful paper minis to go with their games. They're super, super clear, super, super easy to run, very, very kid-friendly. Um, so that was my next resource. There's also some great Facebook groups. There's a Facebook for, like, D&D and kids, I think it's called, or D&D for young adventurers. I'd have to double-check. Um, also, every week there's someone posting up new amazing resources um, there. So, yeah, our club. Um, unfortunately, I do have a sad end to my story, though, because as I got my D&D club off, we did the preload and we started games, and I got offered a job at a different school. <laughs> <laughs> so I have moved schools, and alas, I have not seen the fruition of my, uh, my little baby, my legacy. Uh, however, I've moved back into the girls' education, which is something I am ridiculously passionate about, and I have every intention next year to start a girls' D&D club. We are going to take over the world, um, and I'm going to have so many female GMs in my company in about 10 years, because I'm going to train them all up through school. That's my goal. Um, but, yeah, so I can't give you a, a, a how it's going right now. Uh, unfortunately, Rob's not here, but I'm going to assume highly successful.
Uh, amazing. The other thing uh, that's wonderful about D&D is that it is, and when we talk about it with kids and talk about it in education, is it's everywhere at the moment. It is prolific. Um, some of you might have already seen this. Some of you seen the wizard stuff that's come out. Now, when wizards put stuff out, we know that that means stuff is coming out. So wizards have just put out all these educator resources. Um, I got really excited because as I was talking to you about budgets, that was a big thing for us was kind of having that meeting and I was very nervous about it. But um, as I was reading through this, I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to start doing like Warhammer Do where you can go and get like free kits for school clubs. And then it says like asterisks America and Canada, or United States and Canada only, which is sad. Um, however, coming back to my little spot about your LFSGs, your local friendly game stores. Now, they are fabulous. They are great. I'm sure all of us have one we go to, probably all of one where we've spent way too much money on. Um, I've just put a little asterisk there because I personally was very aware post-COVID that small business struggled. So as much as I want to say go and approach your LFG, see what they can help you, I say that with a little bit of kind of uh, tentativeness because I think at the moment everyone is kind of still getting back on their feet post-COVID. So I guess as respectfully as possible, but maybe it's the fact if you're buying, you know, a couple of books, maybe they can give you a 5% discount and every little bit, you know, can help in that respect. Um, maybe it's the fact they can put a poster up or something if you want to attract other kids, you know, maybe you're from a library or from something outside of a school, you're trying to start a club, maybe they can do some advertising for you um, or something like that. Maybe you can have little vouchers that you give to the kids that they can go back and spend there as a kind of relationship. Because, um, yeah, as much as I want to say, go out, approach, ask for free stuff, um, everyone's kind of struggling this year to get, their back, on, yeah. get back on their feet. So... Uh, do that as tentatively as possible. Um, the other little thing as well, those little YouTube uh, clips I've taken are also Wizards of the Coast things. They're webinars. Um, so one there about building emotional literacy, one there about uh, levelling up reluctant readers, which I wish I would have read, I wish I would have been able to watch three years ago because it's literally what I was trying to do with my uh, literacy unit that I planned. Uh, and they've got a new one coming out soon on, and I just read it before I came in here to remind myself, and I've totally forgotten Come back to me and I'll tell you. There's another one coming out though in like another week. I think it's like, uh, actually this week, I think it comes out, October 12th or something. Um, but they're amazing. Great, super educational people talking about amazing things with D&D. So if you're feeling a bit nervous and you want to watch something, I would highly recommend those webinars as great. And Dan. And then, as well as uh, Wizard of the Coast doing their own thing, we've also got uh, organisations such as Minds at Play and Asperger's Victoria. They're going out, they're creating groups, they're creating these one-shots for, for these neurodiverse kids. Obviously, they feel like there's something, there's an aspect to it, to it as well. So if something that you're looking at, looking at doing, I'd recommend contacting either one of those two or just looking at whatever else is out there as well. They, they provide these, uh, these gaming sessions for either subsidised or they'll be able to provide some for free, especially during school holidays as well. Yeah, awesome. So with... 20 minutes left, uh, or 15 really, by the time we actually do our wrapping up. Uh, if anyone has any questions, you'll see there are two wonderful little microphones on the side. If anyone would like to ask a question, you're very welcome to head to one of the mics uh, so we can hear you, or you can try and call out. Well, if you're there, we could probably We've hear got you. teacher voices, honestly. <laughs> Oh, DMs Guild? Yes, no worries. Yeah, DMs Guild. There's so, and there's, I think they've even got a filter of like age or this. I feel like there's a child filter or there's something on there where it actually brings up kid friendly games because DMs at right tag for mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Um, so at the start, you mentioned the fact that it's generally like a two hour session. That's right. Um, I'm assuming then you're doing after school clubs? Yeah, so I'm, I'm not affiliated with the school. It's an independent group. I run out of a local community centre. So what happens is we start at 7 o'clock, so the kids have gone home, gotten changed, had, had dinner, trekked out to, to see me, and it's just me with the kids. Um, at the start, I invite, I, I've always had an open-door policy to parents can come in, but the parents are bored. They don't want to... They don't care. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in a Facebook group with all the parents, so basically just after every session, I'll be like, oh, here's what happened. And, um, and I get feedback from them about how uh, you know, they were so excited. They were telling about how they, they killed this giant bird. So we have that conversation that, that way. Um, at a school, though, yeah, you're 100% right. So before I started my club, just as we, when we came back from COVID, that, like, term, we were back... Um, I just had some kids because I'd been all through COVID. That's all I did was play D&D online. I finished school and played D&D. So they were like, we want to play. So all I did was at lunchtimes, I would put like a monster essentially down, give them a mini, give them a pre-gen character sheet and we would just kill that monster. It wasn't really, they just wanted to roll dice. But my after school club, yeah, we used to, so our school finished at 3.30. Um, I gave them till, I think it was 3.50 was when they, so they had 10 minutes to go to the bathroom, whatever. 3.50 till 4, it was a really weird time. It was like 4.15 or 4.20 or something. So about an hour and a bit. Um, which was pretty good timing. It's 
I will say that like if you plan like a three hour one shot, that's like a whole term. <laughs> yeah, which is nice. It makes planning easier. But yeah. If you wanted to, if you were only looking at doing really short one shots, you might look at systems. There's one called 2400, 2400, uh, where basically the, char the character sheet is this big and the kids can make a character in five minutes and then off they go. And it, as a, you don't need to roll, roll any dice yourself as a GM, it's all player run, rolled. As in for my group? We might have different lenses yeah. between us, honestly. You go. So for, for my instance, I was approached by a parent who wanted to, who, this was the, the child who's, who knew a lot about D&D. So they were like, my, son, my, my kid's interested in this. I want to put together a group. Uh, I need a GM to run this for them. So that we, I contacted them. I said, look, happy to, to do that um, for you. They then reached out to other neurodiverse kids through Facebook groups that they so they didn't know any. They didn't know each other before they started. Just put out a net of, we're going to put a group together, and that's how we all met. And then since then, Facebook group. I just kind of report into the parents about what happened. So that when the kid starts rattling off about what happened, they've got they know, understand what they're talking about instead of just I roll the d twenty. When they don't mm. find love hotels. Yes. <laughs> it was okay. an observatory. And <laughs> <laughs> so when you've played your games, you've had the parents at the table with you as well, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, I've had a lot of experiences with either it'll be like the parents dragging their kids along, <laughs> trying to introduce them to D and D, force that upon them, or otherwise it'll be the other way around. Um, but just having them play a game for a little bit is a great experience or just even just watching for a little while can help can go a long way yeah I will say for schools though one thing to be careful of that I will put an asterisk so that no one comes back at me is that obviously your school's values and things need to be considered so for instance if having other deities like clerics and things are tricky uh, you can uh, there's lots of ways around it you can take them out you can change them um, I also find with combat that's why we split as well the five to nine and or five to eight sorry nine to twelve so my combat is very just silly kind of combat whereas I think in the older years it got a bit more gratuitous um, I just kind of appealed I did it like movies right same kind of like g-rated Disney combat um, but yes, otherwise, in terms of parents, I was very lucky. A lot of mine had heard me during COVID-19 online remote teaching, talking D&D all the time. So they're like, yeah, just sure. <laughs> we don't know what it is, but go for it. Uh, amazing. I'm going to come from this. Oh, right at the back in the blue. Hi. Yeah, um, so we, so part of that whole front-loading thing that we did with teaching kids, when teaching them the actual game in kind of detail, is that the older kids, so in our clubs, the kids that went with my secondary teacher, they were, they were kind of told, we're going to run one game in term three for you guys, but term four, you're going to GM for the younger kids. So they were kind of getting trained up there. And part of that was so that they already had the knowledge, we were going to give them the one-shots, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think if you can get the kids to take ownership and GM, and especially mentoring in schools is great. Um, I'm assuming secondary with accounting, yeah. 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 Awesome. I mean, yeah. The tricky part. I, the best thing you can do is just try and like. That was also part of our thing with that first term. As much as we want to give them the information, was about how do we manage this? Because we, we thought we'd get between the two of us. Like, oh, if we get maybe like a dozen kids, six each, we'll split them. And I think we had thirty eight kids or something sign up, um, which instantly, that was also a catalyst for us to be like, oh, no. <laughs> um, as, yeah. Sorry? Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. Uh, yeah. Look, the best thing, maybe kind of running those workshops, as for getting your colleagues on board, oh, gosh. I mean, I just never stop talking about it. So just by proxy, they have to, like, sit. Every time I'm at the lunchroom, I'm like, guess what? Um, uh, what I did do, one thing I have done though is one, one of our staff days, we had like a wellbeing day um, and I volunteered to run D&D for one of those sessions. Again, just, and I just grabbed people pretty much and we're like, come roll dice. Um, it got a couple of people on board. Theatre departments are great. If you've got a music department, go approach the theatre kids. No. Oh, nice. I love that. 
Yeah. I mean, depending what your budget for your school is as well, you could look at hiring GMs to come in and run games as well, but obviously that's costly and depending on you know, the school, that can be that can add up a lot. But yeah, amazing. I love that you got asked about it in an interview question. That's rad. It gives me hope um, that maybe that's how I can get it. Uh, yes, so oh, oh, sorry. I just want to say as well, don't... I mean, one of the reasons why people become game masters is because they've got they want to tell stories. So don't kind of underestimate how many of those fifty-five when they play a game or two want to go on the other side of the screen as well. For sure, there's a mm. certain power and control that comes behind the DM screen. Uh, yes, hi, sorry. I, look, personally, I'm very... Look, there was, there was a school I worked in for six months that was um, a religious school. There's no way in heck I would have... I didn't even ask to run d and I wasn't allowed to have Harry Potter books in my classroom, nothing. So there's no way I'm getting that through there. Um, most other schools since then, I, I, you read the room a little bit and kind of know, but I've never had... I've been very lucky, knock on wood, to never have any, any negative feedback like that. But I think it comes down to what FIFA was saying as well about knowing your audience, though, too, knowing the kids you're running from. Oh, look, not, not running from... <laughs> It's a Freudian slip if I ever heard it. Uh, knowing the kids you're running for and kind of the background of your school and what's going to kind of kind of flow. Um, I do also actually on that though we talk about safety tools as well. And Dan touched on that at the start with like you know the, the, the bell having bell. that as a thing. But I always have we always use X cards when we're running games for adults as well. But safety tools so that if anything comes up in game that makes a student feel uncomfortable you can kind of tap that on the head. And that was a big thing as well. We taught the kids every week. We spoke about X cards. And every week, even when we were doing that unloading, the front loading, there was X cards on all the tables every week just to make it normal. Does um, everybody know what X cards are? Because I didn't know until oh. recently. Um, so, <laughs> Sorry. So, Thank you. So, similar to my ding bell, basically they're a, card, they're a little X card that you have on, the, on your table. So if for whatever reason something's come up that, that the students aren't comfortable with, they can just touch that and a veil's drawn over that scene and you move on. Uh, one example I've heard about good use of the X card was that um, the uh, group was playing Call of Cthulhu. They were um, about, uh, they opened up on a picnic on the beach and one of the players immediately, even though it sounds like a happy scene, one of the players immediately touched the X card and then it came out later that their family had actually passed away in a tsunami, a uh, random freak event. So even though you might feel like, oh, this is a completely safe thing to, to, to bring up, you don't know what, what you don't know what is in the background for some players. So having these safety tools, no, and it's really important that there are no questions asked. Safety tools. Why did you touch that X? Doesn't matter. They touched it. Move on. Um, process for that. Yeah, and just to add to that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and just to add to that, there are other resources as well. You can find uh, like checklists of like potential uh, problematic topics and things like that, where they can anonymously mark different levels of discomfort about certain things, and you can find those online. Yeah, plenty of stuff like that. Yeah, there's lots of great resources for safety tools out there, but yeah, a great one to discuss. Uh, oh my gosh, this is like, can you, uh, hello. <laughs> um, what recommendations would you have for like neurodiverse children that mm -hmm. get re really focused on something that's maybe a bit, um, so for example, um, my son wants to play as a walrus pirate. Yeah. Cool. As a pirate. Yeah. Um, so one of my players wanted to play as a goose person. Those familiar with the rules of D&D know that there's no such thing. So I just reskinned the owl uh, as being a goose and their hunter's mark ability was just honking uh, at, their <laughs> at their enemy and that's what delivered this extra damage. Um, D&D is flexible in that you could, they could just be a triton, they could be one of the mer people, and they just look like a walrus. Who cares? It doesn't affect... Unless it provides some kind of mechanical benefit that they're anticipating, I just let them get away with it that way. Um, and so having this goose person... Uh, I guess one thing I should note about this player, when they did their very first session, they were basically non-verbal. Um, so when they... Basically, the only thing I could get out of him in that session zero, creating a character, aside from pointing at options on the on the screen on D and D Beyond, was honk. They wanted to the character to be able to, to honk. So from that, I extrapolated this goose ranger. Um, unless, yeah, just unless it provides a mechanical difference, just reskin something. Yeah, it's the easiest way. Yes, and super powerful. Um, over this side, hello. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, providing the resources is always super handy, um, like having the books and stuff there because then that's one little hurdle. Yeah, if they can use someone's GM guy, if they can use a one-shot, if you've got a one-shot printed in a folder, they could literally run through, you know, it's got that resource there. Uh, in terms of finding GMs, like if you're looking to like, do you mean like to hire people to come in or just trying to find yeah, people? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, the social media, like I think all of us have, all three of us have played games now through finding groups through social media. So I don't think there's anything wrong with as well putting a call out. This is what you're looking for. The community is amazing. Like I've been here all three days and every time I, I, I knew I loved PAX, but oh my gosh, do I love this community? Like I have had nothing but positive compliments and just amazingness from the people, anyone, strangers offering to help me. And I think that's something D&D &D does really well in the TTRPG community. Um, you know, I look around this room, like, look at you guys, you're great. <laughs> So maybe just put that call out for help and, you know, there's people out there that will try and try and help out. Yeah, and I think with the right group of players as well, it makes GMing a lot easier as well. And I think what I would always, the advice that I give to new DMs is, like, don't be afraid to make mistakes and especially <laughs> own up to those. Like, just be forwards with your players and say, like, oh, I, I, I did this and next time I'll do this instead. And as long as your players are good, um, then it shouldn't be a problem either. So yeah. it kind of well, goes both ways. One other thing you could do as well, if you're familiar with Adventurers Link, uh, which is the, the formal play, one of the things that they reward people for GMing is their character still progresses. So even though they're not playing, the character can still level up and earn gold. So if you're finding that people aren't wanting to, play, to, to run games because it means that their character sits idle, no, it can just continue on. It just, you know, in like the background. Yeah. Oh, no, no it, just, it just happens in the background, like, separately. Right. Don't do DMPCs. They turn into, with children, they turn into tyrants. Um, <laughs> Uh, amazing. Oh, hello. I've got three on this side. I'll go right at the back and then middle and then left. Yes, hello. Yes, you. Hi. Ask. Yes. Um, I was expecting you to all talk about external costs. Have you ever, what, what experiences or have you uh, integrated things like uh, game mechanics or those sorts of things that you love about D&D into your classroom practice? W. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, in a nutshell, yes. So um, the to touch on, I won't go into too much detail because I talked about last year, but I'd be more than happy to send slides. Um, I did a whole literacy unit about creative writing. So I was year six, the pressure was off for NAPLAN. Um, I just got to teach creative writing and that's such a, you could go down any avenue. I focused on fantasy because we just finished reading, I think it was Rowan of Rin or something. I want to say Rowan of Rin, I can't remember. Um, and, the, and my class had really engaged with it. So uh, I built a whole literacy unit where we wrote a backstory for our character. So instead of writing a regular narrative, they wrote their backstories. And we spoke about you know, how you describe a setting, how do you find out what drives a character, what's an antagonist, what's a protagonist, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then our culmination was they had the character backstory and then I showed them how to make a character sheet and then our reward for the end of that unit was we played a game, which was great. That's where the stabbing came into it. Um, I do use maths though all the time. Uh, I have dice all through my classroom. Anytime we need to make a class decision, we use maths and I have modifiers depending on my mood and how well behaved they've been. Um, <laughs> roll for an early mark, negative eight, because no one did their homework. Um, <laughs> So I use it like that in my class as well. We do a lot of dice games for maths too. Um, honestly, any time I can shoehorn D&D into my classroom, it's there, like, all the time. <laughs> um, but they're the two, like, yeah, the literacy one's probably the one that's closest to my heart because that's what I love. Yeah. Um, in the mid, was there another question in the middle here? Yes, hello. Yeah. Well, I'm familiar with Adventurers League. I've, I've used it as a player. And um, what it does provide is if, if you manage to get yourself certified as an Adventurers League GM, it means that those kids, if they choose to, can take those characters to an Adventurers League game outside of the school, and it's still street legal. Um, <laughs> it sounds so, so much cooler than it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what you do is you chop up your character. No. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so it just means that, that, that it provides an extra incentive of, of getting out there, meeting new people as well. And, uh, you know, when we talk about that emotional kind of connection, they could have come today and played that same character uh, in the TTRPG hall and it still would have been completely legit. Um, there is a process to becoming a, a registered DM with them so that you can provide those experiences to the kids. I'd recommend contacting them because I haven't done it yet. And they're here. And this they're again, There's a whole DDAL down in the tabletop area as well. So. Mm. But they also provide a lot of resources and, and good guidelines as well on how to reward your players at certain points as they play. Yeah. And there's one on the end. Hello. Hi. Um, I'm a published librarian. Awesome. So, um, I'm kind of Ooh, indeed. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a treat. Is it other kids playing in the groups as well, or is it the 11 year old with adults? It's an 11 year old with a 16 year old, and we haven't actually started training. Oh, cool. So we've been screening and explaining what the scenario is, giving yeah. the scenario to the child that's telling what's no. Yeah. Um, and those sorts of things. Well, that's yeah. kind of like what FIFA was talking about with that checklist, like the safety tools checklist as well, where they can like tick in. Um, I was going to talk about like sometimes I didn't, I haven't used it for a while, but like contracts can also be handy, like a player kind of behaviour contract where you say it is not okay to I don't know whatever like m15 plus level violence to describe violence of that level or something but I would also say as well there is a system called um called tiny d6 and specifically one called tiny cthulhu it's a 3d6 system so it's not that d100 nonsense that uh call of cthulhu is so it's a lot easier Ooh. for the younger group yeah that's right I'll call it <laughs> um yeah. yeah but um but yeah so you have tiny so you but also, no, it also has settings, it has adventures, and that are designed more for the younger crowd. Um, but the other part as well is kind of your guide, your guide could also be, what's Disney do with horror? What does uh, Scooby-Doo do with horror? And kind of, is, kind of keep it at appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love horror, so feel free to talk to, to me afterwards, but there is those options. Probably got time for maybe two more questions if there was anything else. Yeah, one over here. Hi there. Uh, oof. I had to be honest, I haven't used it a lot. Um, so what was tricky with us is because I had just come off COVID, so I've done a lot of Roll20. So part of one of my plans when we started the club was like, oh, we can do a Roll20 club. They don't even have to be at school. But what we came into my school, years five and six didn't have devices. They had iPads. And if anyone's tried to play Roll20 on an iPad, it's... <laughs> Twitch inducing. Um, so, whereas the senior school kids did. Um, but we ended up deciding to just go in person, pen, paper, kind of like old school DD. I think there's lots of potential though for it. Um, I would have loved, I was using like a lot of Ark and Forge as well during like COVID, uh, COVID, if anyone's used that, which would be an awesome system if you had kids at home to access. Um, I mean, if, you, if your school's got budget, imagine getting like a proper games table with the like screen in it. <sighs> That's the dream. <laughs> whole dedicated RPG room. Um, but no, in terms of me using technology, honestly, not a lot. A lot of slideshows and a lot of like that showing them stuff and a lot of clips, like YouTube clips, but I'm not sure either um, of you got experience in I, that realm. Well, so for my group, we use D&D Beyond for character sheets and pretty much it. Um, and, but I also find like kids are physical, they like tactile. So even though none of them, not, pretty much none of my kids started with dice, they've all got multiple sets now. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So they, so I just find you don't need the the, the digital tools. That's I, I just use the character sheet more because it's easier to make sure to have them every week. Um, so the only tool, the only thing I would suggest on that is, if possible, try and have a digital copy of everyone's character sheet. So even if it's just an Excel spreadsheet that everyone can just edit as they go, it doesn't have to be D and D Beyond. There are other options, especially if you're using wow. another system. You're coming out with all the claims today. Yeah, man. Um, um, yeah. D&D Beyond costs and not everyone has a budget. I'd rather you spend that money on dice and, and yeah. dice towers and various other things. You just reminded me as well, one thing, if you're factoring in a budget, get dice trays because, like you said, kids do love dice and there's nothing... If you've got, like, 20 kids in a room, go... It, like, will honestly... It's, like, it's a form of torture. If you if you want very cheap dice trays, get puzzle trays from Kmart. Six for six bucks. Oh. Uh, they work really well. They're about yay big. And, and how um, much did Kmart... Hmm? Sponsor you for that shout out. Oh yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, so the, I, I agree with the I agree with the, the dice trays, and that's an easy way to get a bunch of cheap ones. Amazing. All right, because time for one more question. I thought I saw a hand on this side, but maybe not. No. It's Amazing. We are here and human. Well, we are here and human. We are here. Um, if you do uh, want to quickly chat with us afterwards, if you do have any questions. Um, also, this is a little bit of our deep. So this is uh, Dan the GM. You can find him at Dan the Game Master on Facebook. Um, I'm Meek, uh, Masters of Alchemy. If you want to come visit, I've got a stand. 
uh, this year out in Paxland. Uh, look for the nice cottage core one on the corner. That's me. Um, but yeah, I do have some resources and things that I'd be more than happy to share links. It's a bit janky, it's not beautiful, but it's um, the best I can do. Uh, and Fief, you're fabulous, but you, you didn't no, want to put your- I don't use social media. <laughs> <laughs> You're just, like, naturally amazing without just it. Just send a raven. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> if you would like to contact Fief, ravens are welcome. Um, but, no, thank you so, so much for being here. You have no idea. Uh, so this is my second time in person. I did an online panel last year, and it fills my heart. Um, big round of applause. Thank you so much to Afif and to Dan. Have a wonderful PAX, and I hope you have many students that go and stab each other just feverishly as you go. Uh, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Only joking if, you're not, if they're not into it. <laughs> hey, guys. Hi. Hi.